0: Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, We are lucky to have our guest for this episode here with us in the studio. He's uh, down here in Perth. He spends most of his time, though, uh, up in the far (laughs) northeastern part of the Kimberley, uh, predominantly in Kununurra. Uh, He is an Aboriginal leader now of... Some decades, uh, Ian Truss is his name, and earlier this year was recognised as one of only seven uh, people in WA to be made uh, an officer uh, in the Order of Australia and the Queen's Birthday Honours, uh, that is so Ian Truss AO, mm-hmm. after his name. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Ian, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, not just your work with uh, with Winard Corporation, mm-hmm. Ian, but uh, all about you as well and how you came to be in the position you're in at yeah, the moment. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Tim. How are you?
2: Yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, it's been an honour sort of getting the award, of course. Yeah, and I, I attended the event last night out at um, Bull Creek, at the Rafa, Rafa um, uh, facility there. Mm. And uh, there's lots of people there sort of receiving the award. And the first time I've, well, I you well, know, I've been there a couple of times because there's the RAAF Museum right next door to it. Yep. And I've taken my uh, my two grandchildren there, grandson who are you know big big sort of fans of uh, you know the Air Force and anything sort of Army we spent hours down there a couple of months ago and, you know, climbing through the old aircraft and so on. So yes, it's uh, but I'm, yeah, I've been that, 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 part of it, not to the, not to where the, where the, the, you know, the, the event was last night.
1: You, you've received a, a lot of honors and accolades mm-hmm. in your time. Uh, I, I imagine for you, the real reward in mm-hmm. what you're doing is, is seeing, um, you know, people improve their, their standing, their way of life uh, up in your part of the world. But, where does something like the Queen's Birthday Honours, you know, sit in in your list of accolades that have been look, thrown your way?
2: Look, I think uh, I think that's what I that's what I said to the awardees last night. I said that none of us sort of set out to actually, you know, to try and win an award. Mm. That's the last thing in your mind, really. What you try and do is do the best you can for in what you do, and you know, it's uh, and there were people there last night in all sorts of different uh, endeavours, sports, and uh, you know, business and whatever. I, I was in this. The social and economic development of Aboriginal people. So, um, uh, look, I, I think that it's uh, it's a good achievement, and uh, the fact that people do recognise you. Uh, sometimes it's um, it's a uh, uh, you know there's a there's a saying that says that you know a prophet a lot of times not recognise you in, in your own land. And I think there's quite a bit of truth to that. Yeah. You sort of uh, look, I've sort of been recognised from a, a broader sense, but he went back to locally. Um, you know, I heard this funny story about people saying, oh, you know, this, um, you know, uh, you know, Ian Trust was walking on water. You know, and you know the comment you'd get back up there. Well, that's because the bastard doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's not that I'm uh, you know any any magician or anything. But uh, but it is sort of good to you know to be recognised. And uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm sure there's lots of other people out there that have done you know good things over the years as well. And you know they, yeah. should, they should be recognised as well.
1: Too many crocodiles in the parts of the world that you go to swim in. I'm imagining exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: right. You so say you definitely need to walk on water. So yeah, um, you
1: were. Um, obviously, from uh, the Kipler, I understand you mm. were born near Halls Creek. I'm keen to hear more about your family. Yeah, uh, your parents were part mm. of the stolen generation. Um, is that something that you um, feel like you have come to terms with? Did it, you know, did you get to a point where you had processed that, or is that still an ongoing process for
2: you? No, look, I've um, my we didn't. My generation didn't need to come to terms with it at all because my parents' generation came to terms with that. There's a great book called the fifteen percent it's written by a guy that was uh, mounting this is in America was mounting the you know the uh, the uh, K- class action against the Catholic Church for uh child sexual abuse uh-huh. and he writes it on the on the percent, on the from the basis of a fifteen percent of what these thousands of people he interviewed complainants about sexual abuse during their lifestyle fifteen percent who didn't carry that forward with them in their life it didn't define their lives mm. and uh uh, you know, he tells a particular story there of this guy walking in, and he, you know, he says, "Oh look, I'm sorry, but because uh, you know the whole, the whole, the whole case of the of the investigation, of course, was the a legal case." He walks in and says, "Look, I'm sorry, but you're going to find me a very bad witness." And the guy says, "You know why?" And he says, "Well, I don't really carry any sort of animosity or hatred. I've I buried that years ago, and it's something that I haven't handed on to my children. I yep. don't intend to, or, or never have." So I'm sort of, I don't sort of obviously put ourselves as being in the same boat, but you know, and, and my parents uh, uh, did went through some, you know, bad experiences when they were growing up. My mother got taken away when she was six years old. Yeah. And my father about the same age. Her, she from uh, Margaret River Station, which is about just over 100 k's south of Halls Creek, and dad from Go-Go Station, just 10 k's, 20 k's out of Fitzroy Crossing, but you know they they both got taken away there from their families. Um,
1: Where did they end up?
2: At Bulla, which mm-hmm. was a government settlement that was closed down in 1955. It was, it was set up by the government in I think the early 1900s, and um, for specifically for part Aboriginal kids, being, you know, being taken away from from well mainly sort of Aboriginal mothers. I mean, they obviously had uh, part uh, you know non Aboriginal fathers. Um, so they they ended up there in Moolabool along with a lot of other my uh, cousins and so on that all the people that were there some of them they were related to a lot of they a lot they weren't and um, so I think uh, that sort of relationship defined them to some extent they sort of had this uh, they they both went on a grade 5 education that was the level high, highest level of education that uh, that educated aboriginal kids at that time too you couldn't you couldn't go any further than that you know, this was in the 1990, late thirty or 1930s, 1940s. Um, but they they could see the value of education as a result of that experience and they wanted us to, you know, to try and uh, uh, be educated as much as we can. None of us, uh, my generation, my brothers and sisters, uh, apart from my sister Stephanie who became a, you know, became a GP uh, down here at uh, University of WA, Uh we didn't actually go to university. I did go to um, the South Australian Institute of Technology uh, uh, many years later and, did, a, and uh, did an associate diploma in social work. Uh, and my other, you know, a brother sort of was an electrician. Another one sort of did, uh, you know, three quarters of apprenticeship, uh, apprenticeship as a plumber, uh, school teacher, and so on. So, so generally, our sort of family have done really well. Mm. And. Um, um, but we have, you know, did see, well, my parents did see the value of education and uh, that sort of, um, you can see that in our family history, I think. Yeah. And, um, but the hard times, you know, they say that, you know, hard times, uh, you know, breed sort of hard people. And that's true, I think, that, Mm. uh, you know, uh, and and the reverse is true too, you know, soft, easy times, you know, breeds easy people. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) That's probably what we're seeing now. uh, (laughs) um, You know, it it tends to sort of go in a cycle, but... um, um, but my, my we we uh, was, well, basically kicked off uh, Muller Station in 1955 when the government, for whatever reason, decided to sell it. Right. Uh, sell the property to private interest. They were given, I uh, was only five years old at the time. I think my mother and father said they were given 24 hours notice. To clear off? To, to, to leave, off, leave the station. Wow. You know, and I um, uh, heard it on the back of a truck and uh, basically we're sort of refugee refugees and, you know, just nowhere to go. We ended up on the the outskirts of Halls Creek. Uh, there was no, there was no accommodation. All we had was a tent, and you know, uh, my mum said we didn't even ever.
1: you were thrown to the wolves.
2: Yeah, we just got the thing out, and nowhere. So we ended up in a tent on the outskirts of town. And I was five years old, and um, um, we uh, and others went out to my uncle, and Auntie ended up in someone one of the stations uh, near Glen, or, uh no Springvale Station, just out of out of Halls Creek. We eventually ended up in Broome after after our staying in Halls Creek, and then from Halls Creek, out from Broome, then went out to uh, Glenroy Station and uh, and and Mount House, which is in the central sort of Northy uh, east uh, west Kimberley. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, it's funny that my mother and father haven't really, they don't really sort of dwell on. It. In fact, they sort of all the t- stories they tell us from uh, from that uh, about the experiences on Molabula when they were kids about. Um, Uh, really bad good things you know Mm. um, she did tell me a story that was quite which was quite uh, you know it was quite sort of well not so much confronting but sort of awakening that um, uh, when she was uh, she was about nine I think I was thinking about three three years after she got there uh, one of the older girls because basically they had these older girls that um, were almost like surrogate mothers for them went and woke her up uh, you know woke her get up you know there's a every year, the Aboriginal sort of people, they still do it to some extent. They used to have this big, what they call law camps or corroboree camps around different parts of the country. And, um, they went and, um, uh, <clears throat> told them, oh, there's a big, um, corroboree camp that's about three K's from the station, from Mulla Uh, we're going to, we're going to sneak out tonight because they weren't allowed, after the, after, you know, the curfew, they weren't allowed to the, out the, out the dormitory. Yeah. So we're going to sneak out tonight and we're going to take you there to see your mum. and." Um, so she'd, you know, they snuck out at, you know, seven or something, eight o'clock or something from the thing, and then running across the, through the bush, they could see the campfires and he, they could hear the, the didgeridoos in the distance towards where the corroboree site was. Mm. And they got there. And uh, my grandmother, grandmother, Granny Wadebeer, her name was, uh, they found her amongst all the group. There was about 50, 80, maybe 100 people there. She said some of them were sort of little campfires all over the place. Some of them were sort of dancing and singing. They found her there and, um, She'd come and then she'd come and, you know, uh, mum sat down there with, and sort of uh, with hugging her and crying with her. And um, she said she had a another young baby with her. Um, uh, but that, uh, you know, sort of afterwards, sort of found it years later. We never, she never she never had a younger sister. So we assumed that baby had died. Right. So they only spent, There was only there for... Um, uh, they're only there for about 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, probably maybe less than 40 minutes because the girls, you know, the older girls come and saw her, said, look, we're going to have to get going now. Otherwise we're going to get caught. Uh, so they, she, you know, she went and sort of thing and then gave her, her mother a kiss goodbye. And then they went back to the hostel and she never saw her again. Is that right? That's right. Not she once. Died. She never saw her again. I mean, I've, uh, a few years later then she died, we, we, we think it was in childbirth. Because the Aboriginal women back then, you know, didn't go to a hospital mm. to, have, to have children. They just had, uh, you know, children out in the,
1: in, the, in the bush. So you were literally born on station.
2: I was born, but I was born in a clinic mm. at Moolabala Station. They, they, they did have a rudimentary clinic there with, um, with a nurse, I think. I don't know whether there's any doctors there, but probably a nurse. Uh, but the, the Aboriginal sort of, uh, you know, women and um, um, my mother, for example, was born out in the bush. She wasn't born in the clinic. Uh, we were all my generation, my brother and sister were all born in a clinic somewhere or, you know, the younger ones in a, in a hospital. Um, but yeah, so she, she died, um, um, a few years later. Um, and that was an eerie thing too, cause you know, sort of mum was, she was about 12 or 13. Now. I think about 1942 or 43, she was in the Wyndham hospital. Windham the Wyndham, uh, Wyndham had two hospitals. So uh, Australia, up in the Kimberleys, was practicing a, a semi-sort of apartheid sort of system. There was a there was a, a white hospital in town. Wyndham's was only a small town. You know, yeah. It was only about 1,500 or 1, twelve hundred people, but had a, it also had an Aboriginal hostel ho- or Aboriginal hos- hospital, and you wasn't allowed to go to the um, to the to the to the you know the so-called white hospital unless you had your citizenship rights. And mum, of course, didn't have that and um so she was down there for uh, with sore eyes from all bulla. and I don't know I think they took her down there by truck or something, just a two wheel track back in those days yeah and um she said she uh was lying there you know and uh, uh, uh you know she's lying there half asleep and um had this vision of this of her mother coming to her. she's telling me the story years later and um and she had, the mother sort of had a, a steel bar, because every woman used to carry a steel, steel bar for digging, for um, for different, you know, sort of in the ground, they're digging for sort of seeds and yams and, and, mm. and sort of different bush foods. And they used to always carry the, the steel bar with the foot, to digging around and sort of thing, and she had the steel bar with her. And mum said she was, she, you know, she she don't know if it was a vision or half a dream or what, but um, she sort of told her, oh, don't come to me, don't come to me, you know, you've, um, you're, you're dead. You know, I know that you died, and... Um, and because she had this really bad uh, fever, really hot fever, uh, really sweating and so on. And, the, you know, the mother, her mother said, she said that uh, her mum put her hand in her forehead. And then she got up about half an hour later and the fever was completely gone. Wow. And, um, and she got up in the morning and she said, oh, no, I didn't, what, what happened? What was that about? You I sort of might have been dreaming. But when she looked on the side of her bed, the steel bar was lying there on the, on the concrete floor. She said, well, you know, where'd that come from? Yeah. So, but anyways, just those little things that, uh, you know, she had told some fascinating story. I mean, it was also while she was there, uh, they had to get out of the hospital because the Japanese bombed Wyndham. Mm. This was in 1942 and, mm. they, you know, we're attacking from, I think they had a base in Timor or somewhere and, uh, they, they attacked, uh, Wyndham there at the time. So. Mum had to, and, and all the other people had to get out of the hospital and everybody was in here evacuating Wyndham because they got some sort of advance notice that they were, you know, must have been from radio message from Darwin or somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so they got out of town and um, they could see the little, you know, big black smoke from, from Windham and where the, when the Japanese were bombing there.
1: Incredible. Everyone thinks of Darwin, don't they? They forget that... Uh, the. Northern parts of the WA coast got...
2: Yeah, that's right. Peppered you know, as well. Exactly. Sort of Broome as well was attacked. Yep. I think, they were, you, know, you know, I think a few people got killed there. With You know, Dutch sort of um, mm. evacuees from J- Timor and mm. Java and also Colombo was attacked as well. Yeah. I think a couple of priests and someone were killed yeah. there because from Japanese... They were actually looking for the the um, um, Truscott Air Base... The Air Base was only about twenty minutes flying from from Columbia, and the Japanese, I think, we knew that it was there, uh, and when they attacked something, but they they flew over Colomboaru, and they I think they were they assumed that was it, but you know, Truscott was another fifteen twenty minutes flying, but they never found it apparently.
1: Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for that.
2: Yes, they never found it. So. Yeah. It was disbanded, you know, sort of six months later when the war sort of moved on and, you know, yeah. and the threat to that part of Australia sort of yeah. evaporated, so it wasn't needed anymore and then they moved on to Darwin or somewhere.
1: Yeah, you found, know, it, yeah, found yeah, a bigger I mean, target. Yeah. And we need to take a break, yeah. but after that, yeah. um, before we get into all of your yeah. incredible mm. work with Wooden Foundation, I'm just keen to hear how life has been during COVID uh, up in Kannanurra. Yeah. It's been a bizarre yeah. time for everyone, but I can imagine uh, up in a in a more extreme environment uh, and landscape uh, that you call home uh, things have been even diff- more different so we'll get into that right after we take yeah. a break ian trust yeah. ao is our yeah. special guest in this episode of inspiring stories back with more in just a moment
0: you're listening to inspiring stories for barra and oday don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. The story we are hearing is the story of Ian Trust. Uh, Ian, uh, I mentioned earlier that mm. we're lucky to have you here in the studio here in Perth. Uh, I know you spend mm. the vast majority of your time uh, up in Canada. In do, do you enjoy being in the big smoke?
2: Yes, look, I, it's always a great, uh, you know, break to come down here, sort of mm. slightly cooler weather usually, or sometimes it is quite cold, of course, but I don't mind that, mm. and um, come up. I've got lots of uh, contacts and people I've got to come and do business with down, down here anyway, and I, I normally come down every, I don't know, maybe six to eight weeks, Yeah. and uh, for, for different things. Yeah. I'm uh, down here uh, for two reasons this week, you know, to attend, the attended the AO uh, Order of Australia uh, celebrations last night at, uh, at Ball Creek. With the uh, the WA sort of chapter of the um, you know the uh, the organisation uh, that uh, rep- or that organize- or that re- uh, recognises all the re- uh, recipients and uh, but I'm also um, on the board of uh, the uh, WA uh, the WaterCorp uh, Customer Advisory Committee right and uh, we've got a meeting on this afternoon so I ten come down for the different sort of sort of things and mm. uh, you know they all sort of uh, add a bit of variety to what I do and. Um, but all in 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 some way sort of connected to what I'm trying to do and which is you know trying to empower Aboriginal people and uh, yeah. create a, a better life for them and and mm. you know and that's what, what that's what I'm about with uh, with my job at one end.
1: It, it sounds like such a simple mission when you state it like that, but obviously we know the the issues mm-hmm. underpinning that are very very complex and and difficult. We'll get into that yeah. um, over the course of the next uh, little mm-hmm. while. But um, if, can you just tell us what what life has been like in Cunanan for the last uh, eighteen months? Also, I mean, people get very caught up in their own kind of personal yeah. issues here <laughs> in the city, but I dare say you've got a different uh, set of challenges going on in hour and, and that general yeah. part of the Kimberley, how has it been?
2: Look, it hasn't been too bad. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm probably the wrong person to ask really, because I'm, <laughs> I'm a guy that you know doesn't, I don't go to the pub too often, and I'm yeah. not sort of into social living anyway. So it probably I haven't, haven't really noticed too much difference.
1: <laughs> and, and and tourists, are you seeing a lot of? first time tourists to yes. that part of WA.
2: We've uh, we've seen huge amounts of tourists, which is great for the local economy. I mean, I've got a. Um, my my sort of family's got a local um, we've got a, a tourist sort of uh, tourist uh, camp area sort of about fifty five k's from Cunnamulla and we're absolutely been inundated with right. people coming and staying there yeah and absolutely loving it so I know it's um in in a positive way uh, the COVID situation is probably I mean I know there's lots of small businesses hurting a bit because of a downturn in you know what's Thing and they have been able to be able to do it, but in terms of the tourism industry and in in, in, in more recent months, anyway, there's been a huge numbers coming through places like you know Cunnamulla and Broome and so on.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, well that's good. Yeah. Plenty of food on the shelves still.
2: No, not 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 really. <laughs> well, sometimes there is, but you know, I mean, I think that I think the, I think the um, I'm pretty sure they've got it under control. But you know, even the the local sort of supermarkets there, Coles and the IGA, they've sort of you know, there's been pretty lo- le- uh, lean on the shelves there a few times, and I've gone in there to to buy things and has been, you know, there's cooking all day, but you know, it's only, you know, only sort of two gallons sort to of cook. amounts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go back to your mm. younger days then. Mm. Um, I, I'm keen to know where, uh, I suppose your social awareness, your social conscience mm. uh, started to transform into what has become your professional life. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and where your time as a diesel mechanic sits in there as well. Because yeah. I understand that was a skill that you picked up uh, along the way. Did the two have to coexist for a while until one basically took priority?
2: Yeah, look, when I left school, I I think that, uh, you know, I'm talking about the late, um, sort of the ninety late 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't very many opportunities in Wyndham because we, we, we uh, moved from Halls Creek to Wyndham and my family, you know, the first time in our life that we'd actually had a house and could settle down in. Uh, but there weren't very many opportunities in, in, in Wyndham at the time. But I took up a – did an apprenticeship as a diesel fitter with the Department of um, Mechanical Plant Engineering, which is part of uh, the Public Works Department. Yep. And I totally enjoyed that. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, I had a great – lots of uh, work mates to work with. Mainly, there was a few Aboriginal people there, but all the mechanics were pre- predominantly non-Indigenous. And, you know, there was a, a German there and Yugoslav and a few others, you know, mm. sort of ethnic – people from around the world and um, totally enjoyed that. I I think that um, it, um, and I probably would have stayed in that profession, but what happened in the, the, uh, sort of in the 70s, Aboriginal affairs affairs started to emerge in terms of Aboriginal community development, in terms of economic development, uh, you know, getting people to, um, in terms of wrapping up, uh, getting people to sort of embrace more education and so on, and also uh, economic uh, engagement in regard to jobs and so on. That uh, had a, a quite a bit of appeal to me mm. I, mean, I, I like that and mm. um, I remember I remember there was a job going um, well there's two jobs going one was in this this new Aboriginal affairs field and uh, and there was also a job going as a, a diesel fitter at the um, the, uh, the copper mine up near um, uh, Bougainville near New Guinea mm. and there was a job going there for a diesel fitter but it was fairly you know fairly high wages and I was thinking well which one should I go for? Uh, I, I probably, you know, could have got the diesel fitted one quite, quite easily. I mean, it was right down my alley and I had the qualification and so on, but decided to take the, the Aboriginal one, mainly because I took also, I uh, took a cut in pay, but it was an area that I sort of wanted to develop into. Mm. It's, um, I sort of saw, saw more scope there for it. And, um, and also the other thing that interested me quite a bit, even though I had, didn't have much skills at the time was in terms of economic development. And Finance and um, so I, I we applied for my, m- myself and my sister Applied for the jobs with aboriginal affairs. We, d- we both got appointed and I was um, I was I t- took up a position in Port Hedland And she took up a position down here in Perth. Yeah, we, we were both living in Wyndham at the time uh, And that's where it started really I think that um, and at the time when I look back in regards to what was being what was being done in aboriginal affairs was pretty was pretty basic. There was no money involved. Yeah, you know, went around to these little groups in Robin and uh, Port Hedland and Meekatharra with the little, mainly sort of women. Basically, they were sort of sewing classes, really. And you know, we might have had offered them, uh, you know, a twelve hundred fifty dollar grant here and there. Um, so it was only just started, and um, so, but that was an area that uh, I uh, started to get more interested in, and. Um, uh, and uh, but one thing one good thing about my diesel training that i thought sort of found useful in terms of what i was doing with abrigal yep. affairs is it did sort of teach you how to how to uh think uh in a systematic way like if, you, if you're if you tracking back a problem as to why an engine doesn't work you've got to be you know you gotta look back you got to sort of think about the system okay well if you know you test this that doesn't work track it back as if that doesn't work and you know until you eventually find the cause mm. So I've sort of tended to use that sort of uh that's a methodical of way of yeah, approaching me- it yeah more yeah. of a methodical way of trying to to, trying to approach something as to how we you know you keep on cutting off the things that don't work until you find something that does so
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> but anyway that's uh, that's the reason why I sort of ended up in uh in uh, in Aboriginal affairs and uh, like i said it's um it's um uh it was before the advent also of native title of course,
1: yeah, and I mean uh, a lot has. Changed yeah. in yeah. terms of the structures that's right uh, around mm. um, Aboriginal affairs policies mm. and and funding programs yeah. and and the like, um, the social issues that uh, that are at the root of uh, all the you know the challenges not just uh, in in the Kimberley but you know across the country, mm. um, have they have they changed a lot or are you find you're still having a, a lot of the same conversations or or parts of those conversations are still the same now as they were decades ago
2: look I think um, I think um, um, I think the uh, the problems that have um, compounded in more recent years yeah mainly because th- things like alcohol drugs um, you know lack of housing uh, jobs and so on it's actually compounded the, the issue that's why it's sort of you know, so
1: those factors are are even more pro- prominent and prevalent now. Oh, very much so. I think yeah. that,
2: uh, you know, it's sort of like kids coming through school now. It's, um, you know, it's, this is the funny thing is there's huge amounts of opportunities, mm. uh, but there's lots of kids that have got to struggle with all the different, you know, different issues. Like if you look at the, uh, you know, 98%, they tell me 98% of the, the, the inmates at Broome Prison is Aboriginal.
1: 98%.
2: 98%. And 98% of that 98% is, you know, for domestic violence. Yeah. So it's a, uh, you know, that just just gives you the, you know, the problem, the extent of the problem that we have. And mm. it's probably, and, and whether it is the problem or the symptoms of a problem um, is another issue. And I think that there's, you know, there are heaps of organizations and programs all trying to work to, to try and address it. Um, and uh, and we haven't, you know, we haven't sort of quite worked out the, the uh, you know, the, the, there are there are some uh, good things that are being done. Mm. And, uh, and we're spending, you know, $32 billion a year on this this problem. I mean, yeah. they, that's what you know. They keep telling you about closing the gap, in terms of uh, you know where, what, where this money where this money is being spent and what's being achieved from it. Yeah. So I think that uh, there's a lot of goodwill there from the, the Australian community and governments generally in terms of trying to to you know uh, go and uh, bring uh, provide good services and uh, provide a better future for Aboriginal people and Aboriginal children. Mm. And uh, there's lots of good people working in that space, but um, I think we've still got a fair way to go in terms of, um, uh, you know, getting uh, getting better uptake, you know, uptake in regards to some of our programs.
1: Yeah, you would have uh, had to speak to, um, ask tough questions of, deal with uh, politicians of all walks of life.
2: Do you do you like politicians? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think um, I think the uh, you know the uh, the problem, well, not the problem, the system we have is you know a democratic uh, system where you've got a go through certain processes to yeah. achieve something. And some, a lot of times, it's, you know, 10 steps forward and, you know, eight and a half to yeah. backwards. And, do you,
1: uh, I suppose what I'm getting, do, do, yeah. you, do you often feel like you're getting lip service from them without genuine intent?
2: Look, I think, uh, I think a lot of them sort of are sort of genuinely sort of, uh, you know, all well, they are sort of genuine concerned about uh, the issues and I think there's uh, from, you know, both sides of the, you know, major, from the the two major parties uh, that are wanting to see, you know, Aboriginal people do well. They've probably got differing views as to how you try and achieve that. Yeah. Um, I sort of first uh, come in the camp of people, are, you know, we're going to have to make some hard decisions in terms of welfare reform, alcohol and so on, and providing opportunities in jobs and housing as well. I mean, I think it's almost like this, you know, it's almost like seeing this, this uh, you know, this, this uh, jigsaw puzzle view of what the success looks like. Uh, but, the, you know, you've got that many players involved that they've all got sort of to put that picture together on, on this jigsaw, on, 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 you know, put this puzzle together. Different people see different aspects, or you know, putting giving giving, giving emphasis to certain certain programs over others. Mm. And it's not to say that they're they're absolutely you know that they're wrong. It's just a matter of uh, how you look at it. And because uh, you know, someone once said that you know how you sort of see a problem is it defines on how you're going to try and how you try and sort of uh, how you try and fix it. Mm. But look, I think there's uh, generally there's lots of goodwill. I mean, I think uh, I'm not sort of um, you know you got to you got to work with who's in power at the, at the time. Yeah, got uh, to be flexible. You got to be flexible. You know, I mean, they're, they're all sort of wanting to to look at, uh, you know, well, we're willing to fund this and, you know, fund that or, or do this or do that. And I, I think that's fine. It's just that um, um, we probably, if you look back at the amount of money that's in the system now uh, in 2021 compared to what it was in 1967 or, you know, late in the 70s, you know, and it's probably 100, 200% more than what it is, yeah. you know, more.
1: Yeah. Uh, and yet mm-hmm. I know that uh, one mm-hmm. of your mm-hmm. goals with Wooten Corporation is to get people off welfare and out of that cycle and yeah. to empower them um, to find other means uh, to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a, a, a question I need to uh, get you to explore more. detail in just a moment, but we'll take a break, uh, Ian. We'll get into that right after that. And as well, um, I know you've not been uh, immune to wading into some controversial areas as well, like the cashless debit (laughs) card, but again, we'll hold that over until uh, after we hear from uh, our sponsors. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Ian Trust AO is the uh, guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Uh, Ian uh, is the founder and chairman of the Woonen Foundation. Uh, You've got so many other roles that you've uh, held, uh, still do, have held Mm -hmm. in the past. Ian, I could be here all hour, just mm, listing mm, those. Mm. Um, but Wounded Foundation obviously is very close to your heart. It's such a yeah. big part of your life. For those who haven't heard of Wounded Foundation, just give us a snapshot. What is yeah. it mm. a- and what are you out trying to achieve?
2: Well, the Wounded Foundation is a charity that we've set up uh, about 25 years ago. Um, it's based in the East Kimberley. We cover programs uh, throughout uh, West, West Kimberley and we've also got some people uh, working for us here in, in Perth as well. Uh, we've got, we have run a... a, a, a Boarding hostel in Sydney. Uh, we've got a, a research company in Melbourne. But essentially, it's about trying to empower Aboriginal people to um, take up opportunities in terms of jobs and, you know, through jobs and education, mm-hmm. and uh, become part of the the mainstream mainstream economy, uh, lead independent lives, uh, just like anybody else, really. Yeah. And. Um, but still retaining our cultural uh, cultural values in terms of where you know what we believe in and where we where we've come from, not sort of not uh, not leaving that behind.
1: Is that a complicated part of of the the vision, if you like, uh, being able to, mm. um, I suppose, really embrace mm. culture and heritage and and country and place at the same time, trying to measure yourself up against this. Other kind of success is it hard to kind of marry look, the two and, and keep a, feet, a foot in both camps there?
2: Yeah? Um, I think some people might struggle with it. I mean, but someone sort of said to me once that look, you, you could have a you know you could have a uh, a university degree and yeah. be and be, uh, be be practicing your culture. There's no sort of you know there's no uh, there's no reason why there's got to be a division between the two. It depends on how you think. It's a bit like you, you take uh, you know the you know the Jewish uh, businessman. Yeah. I mean the Jewish you know the, with the Jews they you know they're very much sort of part of their culture, but they sort of embrace it as part of the you know mainstream and business as well. So using that as an example, there's no reason why we couldn't can't do the same thing. I mean, there's some aspects in terms of where you've got a you've got uh, cultural obligations and you've got to go back to uh, do things on on country that yeah. um, thing, but you know you you try and sort of you know you've got to measure that in with. Um, factor that in with what you're doing. Mm. And uh, obviously, if you're running a business, then you've got to be careful, you know, you've got to be mindful of the fact, well, how's this going to affect my business? And, uh, you know, you, you've got to sort of manage for that. So I, I don't think it's um, it's something that uh, it, it's got to be either or. No, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. some people yeah.
1: view it that way, though, don't they? So yeah, you, no, you no, can't no, necessarily have 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 both. They don't always coexist, you know, in, yeah, in, in yeah. synergy.
2: That's right. No, I don't, I don't think it's going to be, you know, it, it does need to be either or. I think we can sort of do what we can, you know, our, our people up there, they call it being able to walk in two worlds. Mm. And I see, you know, people at the Kimberley Land Council, uh, you know, annual general meetings walking around with the T-shirts on that says we've got to walk in two worlds. Well, that, that's exactly what they mean. And uh, absolutely, I think that's what it's about. And I think it's, uh, it's just that some groups have done it better than others. Uh, it's mainly because they've been more innovative, I suppose. And, uh, you know, but... Um, it's uh you know we've uh we're part of 21st century australia and there's lots of our younger people uh you know the lifestyle they've uh, they're living is very much you wouldn't sort of see the difference much with you know any sort of young person in perth or city yep. you know it's exactly yep. the same lifestyle mm. um it's um so it's um but we do want to retain it uh it's part of our identity as to who we are and i think that's important that we do that and um but you can do it in a positive way that uh, you know, and still walk in these these two worlds uh, basically.
1: Yeah. Mm. So what's the what, what's the secret to uh, to empowerment? Uh, at least uh, you know, up in your part of the, the Kimberley. Well, empower
2: the secret for empowerment for me is uh, you know, empowerment really is about taking responsibility. Yeah. For yourself and your life. I mean, that's that's just not, that's not an Aboriginal thing. It's you know, it's just a human thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't take responsibility, then you 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 live in the hands of others to take responsibility for you. And, uh, you know, you, you can't then complain about, well, I didn't like this, I didn't like that. Well, then you've got to take responsibility yourself. So, the, for me, it's about responsibility and, uh, um, you know, success equals, um, you know, responsibility. It takes discipline and it also takes sacrifice. I um, mean, everyone that, you know, whether you want to lose weight or something or, you know, you're going to sacrifice something, otherwise you can't, it can't succeed. And then, you know, that almost goes for anything in life. Um so I think they're the sort of things that uh, we're wanting to do, and it's like I said, it's not it's not spe- specifically an Aboriginal thing; it's a it's a human thing, and um, and uh, some people struggle with it, and some people don't. But you know, mm. I think that's that's really the key of how we're trying to get people to take responsibility for themselves, own their own homes, you know, build a build a, get their kids to uh, live a, live a, a really nice, safe sort of lifestyle, enjoy the the benefits what, that you know all the every other Australian or, m- or most other Australians enjoy. And uh, it's very much sort of in, you know, within their grasp, you know, it's just a matter of helping them along the way to achieve it. Yeah. Mm.
1: And, and part of your uh, quest along the way has, has has included you, um, as I mentioned, wading into a fairly controversial topic in the the cashless debit card, uh, which was really um, given real focus uh, in the news cycle, at least uh, when, you know, people like uh, Andrew Twiggy Forrest got involved a few years ago. Um, Tell me, about your stance on the cashless debit card and, and why it's been uh, a topic that you have, you know, been willing to put yourself out there. Uh, and let's be honest, polarise some people along yeah, the way. Yeah. Why is it so such an important topic for you?
2: Well, I think um, if you look, if you do an assessment of the <clears throat> many of our families in the Kimberleys, you'll find that they've been, uh, you know, dependent on welfare for two, three and four generations. Uh, and that can't be in a, in in a country that offers so many opportunities like Australia, so I think that for our you know for our sort of uh, leadership you know at political uh, leadership as well, uh, that can't be accepted, that you know four or five generations down the track there's a big section of this community is on welfare, there's a big section, 98% is in uh, prison because of domestic violence, there's a big problem with uh, alcohol, so I think that they're the, they're the challenges that we've got to face up to. And unless we address things like uh, uh, things like alcohol and why are these people sort of, you know, four or five generations on welfare, until we sort of face up to those problems, we're never going to be able to fix it. Mm. And um, what we're doing at the moment is we're spending huge amounts of money. They're telling us, you know, there's $32 billion, you know, sort of being spent on closing the gap. And I think that we've got a, a mindset that somehow money will fix it. I'm not convinced that's, that's always the case. I mean, money's important, but it's you know, not necessarily, not necessarily going to fix it. Mm. So I think that there's got to be an honest look as to what we do. I, I, one thing I'll commend is that you know, the WA government, I attended a committee meeting down here about, about a month ago. They're talking about sort of having a very sort of ambitious plans about, you know, reducing um, the domestic violence rate by 50%, increasing child uh, school attendance by 50% and so on, which is all very ambitious, and I hope that we we can achieve those things. But they're the sort of bold things that you've got to do yep. to bring about change. And you yep. know, if there's a if there's a political will from government to try and achieve that, and we can get uh, strong Aboriginal leadership to back it, then we you know we're on a, on a path of actually trying to trying to achieve something.
1: Yeah. Mm. What does it mean for you personally having someone? Of the clout, if I can put it that way, mm-hmm. of of Andrew Forrest sort of you know w- walking hand in hand with you to you know march to Canberra, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, well look at uh, and and make yeah. these sorts of bold demands.
2: That's right. Well, Andrew has been a big supporter of this, and uh, but it it probably needs uh, broader support as well. I mean, and there's you know there there is sort of broader support across the political spectrum for this. It's just that it's um, uh, with some uh, some of our our people, it's not you know they're not sort of um, uh, they're not having they haven't come to the forefront in regards yeah. to expressing their support. But I think that um, there's a um, uh, there's a saying that says that uh, uh, if you want to if you want to have things you've never had before, you've got to be prepared to do things you've never done before, and that's basically what we're going to do. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're wasting your time with everything else. Yeah. You know, and it uh, it kind of means sort of making some hard decisions, doing some hard things that some people won't like. Yeah. But uh, if you're happy with 98 um, uh, percent, you know, people in prison for domestic violence you're happy with, uh, you know, 50% of, you know, the, some of the little kids sitting in the classroom with FASD uh, because of the lifestyle, you know, their families are living, uh, well, then, you know, we, you know, then we're going to have to make some hard decisions.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You must have made yourself a target along the way, though, to some. You must have had some people yeah, who have well, yeah, strongly look, I, in your direction.
2: Look, I, but I'll tell you what, i tell you, uh, you know, the, the Aboriginal people in Kununurra, um, it's uh, – Generally, sort of, they'll sort of go along with what's, you know, if they think that, um, if they think that you're straight down the line, that you're uh, coming up with something uh, that's going to be good for the long term. And I, and I, and I think that's one of the problems is that people don't see that, you know, the good that we're going to do in the long term. Yep. They just sort of see the immediate. Mm. Uh, thing. It's a bit like telling your kids, you know, you need to stop, you know, eating too many lollies or drinking too much Coke, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. They miss the sugar hit, but they get rewards exactly. in the long so term. Exactly. So
2: there is a, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to see the, the longer term thing, but, you know, responsibility... Uh, and giving people the power to actually make their decisions is what we're on about. Uh, But we're going to have to sort of go through some, you know, tough sort of hurdles to get there.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Ian, we need to head to another break. Uh, Ian Trust, AO, is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Kanownara leader Ian Trust is our guest in this episode. We are lucky enough to have him uh, in Perth at the moment. Uh, Ian, uh, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, including um, you know the media and, and mm-hmm. its uh, assorted commentators, are guilty sometimes of, of focusing on <laughs> negative outcomes, <laughs> poor statistics, that sort of thing. Um, I'm sure that's frustrating to you, mm. but uh, tell me now about some of the, the great mm. achievements, the things that you celebrate, um, particularly with Wooden Foundation, but things that, you know, have really caught your eye and, and I suppose have been markers of progress in your eyes.
2: Yes. It's, um, you know, I think some of the things we've, uh, we've done is that, uh, and a lot of it's sort of like about personal journeys and, mm. uh, you know, we've, we've just recently contracted a new medical service, which we've got a very generous donation from Lottery West. Thanks, thanks to them. They've been a great uh, great uh, partner of ours over over, over many years. Uh, so we've got a, a private, I think it's the only Aboriginal private practice in WA. I'm not, I'd probably be, standing, be corrected on that, but I think it is.
1: And this is Wernin Foundation?
2: Woonin Foundation, we yep. own a, a private medical practice. We've got, I think we've got four doctors there and, you know, we, we, we cater, we provide a medical service for the whole town, not, yeah. just, not just the Aboriginal community, uh, because there is a, an Aboriginal medical service in town as well, of course. Um, but my sister's the, uh, the, the, you know, the chief medical officer there and she, she uh, studied, you know, becoming a GP through uh, UWA about 10, 10, 12 years ago. It might, it might have been a bit more, 15 years ago. Uh, but that's been one of our, one of our uh, success stories and, uh, you know, we're sort of, work, the, the one-end board is working on trying to make it, uh, you know, get it better. And we've, we're looking at sort of, you know, chief key sort of uh, partnerships with other organisation we, we partner with an organisation up there called Boab Health. Mm-hmm. We also house the rural health school. They sort of operate from our clinic as well, where trainee doctors come and they, they work through then they' go and you know work for um, well our medical service, the hospital, and uh, the medical service and so on. So we've done some uh, good things there and uh, one of the key key programs we've developed uh, which we don't actually run at the moment is transitional housing. We sold we wrote up the program for that and sold that to the state government so transitional housing where you get a house. But the house comes with certain obligations. Uh, the two major obligations are that you've got to have a job, or be in education, or moving towards getting a job, and your kids got to be going to school eighty percent plus of the time. Plus, it can't be an 80, uh, it can't be a party house. And eventually, we also like those you know the tenants of those houses to become homeowners to buy mm-hmm. their house. Well, you know that house or buy a house. But that's another great program that we've done working over the years, and uh, you know it's been. Uh, but that's only worked because we've had great partnership with uh, with government. And other sort of parties as well. And, uh, but one answer, you know, in the business of trying to change people's lives. And mm. uh, we've sort of tried to find anything that we could try and do that. And, uh, uh and we've had some success here and there in you know, those different programs, but they're, they're just some examples of ones we have. Yeah. That. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Who are the people that have inspired you through your life, Anne?
2: Well, I suppose my mother and father, sort of in the first instance. Um, but, you know, I've had sort of a few mentors, like in my, my, um, uh, the days when I was doing my apprenticeship, the uh, the guy who was the the uh, uh, who was the foreman at the workshop there, Liz Simpson, he's died now. Les, Liz, Les's family lives in um, uh, just out of Mandurah, and um, but Les was a. I used to, I was a basically I was a family friend before sort of I started. You know, we used to live across the road from them, and I used to, you know, his 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 son and or his kids used to come across and playing at our place all the time, and vice versa. So Les was a an important uh, thing of mine uh, in terms of growing up and uh, we're doing my apprenticeship. Um, you know, my uh, some of my uh, relatives, uh, well, my mum and dad and my uncle, uh, Sam Butters, was another one. Auntie Jane Butters, her, her, which is dad's sister. Uh, you know, she was uh, a big sort of part of my life. I used to sort of always stay with them out of the station and so on. And later on, it's uh, been you know I've got lots of uh, non-indigenous people and, and Aboriginal people who I sort of see as being my mentors now. Mm. I mean, Troy, Troy, you met there earlier, is one of the people I sort of connect with and yep. you know, ask get his opinion of things. And um, so I've got quite a few people that I, I connect with and get advice from, and because um, you know I don't sort of see myself as being a uh, an expert in everything.
1: I mean, as leaders <laughs> go, there's no one. Type of leader is there? You're, I no, suppose you're yeah. you're, a, you're not a um, a, a, a loud, um, you know. I suppose a classic uh, orator as a as a leader, are you? Ian? Yeah, you're yeah. you're a, a little more unassuming, a little quieter. In terms of the great leaders, though, that have had an impact on you, are there any that that stand out and come to mind?
2: Look, I've um, I think that um, I've sort of um, you know I like the notion that good leaders are builders. Mm. They build something.
1: Yeah they're not just
2: they're not just people who yeah, you know yeah, people with yeah.
1: a, grab the megaphone and <laughs> yell
2: <laughs> that's right they are sort of people that sort of you know do they actually build something and um like you know you, you take Nelson Mandela for example you know after the the fall of apartheid in uh in in South Africa and the, the ANC had one government there's a you know it's it's exactly the same thing happening now with uh with uh Afghanistan there was a general sort of feeling. Oh well, now that we're in power here, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make these bastards pay for you know 150 years of you know apartheid and so on. But you know, his sort of position was no, no, no. We've got to, you know, it's about sort of winning the peace. It's about reinventing what South Africa is. A bit like what you know with you know, it I sort of read the, you know, a bit like what MacArthur did. you know, after the fall of Japan, you know, he had to sort of win the peace and reinvent the company, the country. So I think that they're the skills that um, sort of intrigued me as to how you how you do that. I mean, you know, Martin Luther King, of course, is it was another issue in terms of uh, you know extra sort of racism. Mm. Uh, how do you sort of build that? Um, but uh, you know, people being standing up for um, uh, for what they believe in. You know, another guy that sort of I like, sort of was intrigued in re- reading his reading his story was John Brown, who was a, you know the um, anti-slavery. Thing in the U.S., and he was actually hung. He was white. He was a white farmer, and uh, you know he was hung for his position on being anti-slavery. Mm. He was hung by the, by the by the you know the Southern states. But that that was the trigger for the, the American Civil War that resulted in you know the overturn of slavery. But you know, sort of people that sort of stood up uh, against what they thought. I'm another sort of two people that really sort of thing, me was um, was you know Sophie Scholl, you know the young German eighteen-year-old who stood against Adolf Hitler. About you know you know you can't do that you know they just killed three hundred thousand people you know, Jews in Poland, and uh, you know we don't you know civilized societies don't do that and she, you know she was executed along with her brother, uh, but for people who sort of stood up against you know a sea of sort of brown shirts in that case yeah uh, and expressed their opinion yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah and when you go back to um, <laughs> to Cananara to <laughs> I know your time <laughs> in in Perth is is fleeting on this occasion <laughs> yeah, but when you get back and you think. I'm home. What are the things about home? If you could capture the essence of of Kananara, what is it that makes it feel like home for you?
2: Well, I think it's mainly sort of family. I think that's the yeah. thing about being home. It's really sort of where your family is, and you know, sometimes that's that's always not a positive either, especially for you know you, some of your you know grandkids waiting there for a handout. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that comes with being this this home feeling. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's really sort of, uh, you know, family and friends. and uh, But, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, it's really sort of um, that sort of, um, you know, that's the, the thing of home, of you know, the sense of belonging. Yeah. Of uh, that home sort of gives you. And, uh, but, you know, if I've got friends all around Australia and uh, I sort of even when I meet up with friends, you know, over in Sydney or somewhere else that I haven't seen for a while, I look forward to sitting down and you know, having a meal or a, a coffee or something with them. Now, you know, I look forward to that as well. And because when you look back over your life, you know, I've just turned seventy early this year. When you look at back over your life uh, over time, and you sort of say, "Well, you know, these are the people that actually sort of helped to to mould me, and contributed to my sort of uh, you know my my vision and sort of thing on how you sort of see people," and uh, it's all very it's all very important that uh, mm. how you you know how you sort of see that, and um, in time you sort of I think you you know that's how you sort of grow. Uh,
1: and lastly, Anne, <laughs> um, you mentioned that you are now. 70, <laughs> you
2: know,
1: we can't work forever. At no. some point, we've got to scale things back a, a little bit. Um, what, what's left for you to achieve? What would you really like to be able to hang your hat on by the time your, you know, your, your full-time work, your and your Foundation uh, directorship comes to an end?
2: Look, I've, um, I think, I can't see myself sitting at home and just watching TV. Mm. You know, I think that's when you die. Um, you, you've got to sort of you've got to have an interest in something. So I don't see myself sort of thing. I you know I'd probably carry on doing certain sort of things, even though it's not maybe not sort of working full time. Um, I haven't sort of set a date on that just yet. Um, there are sort of uh, you know capable people sort of can wake up. I mean I, you know I think it was one of the ex uh, you know uh, Israeli prime ministers who said that you know the, the graveyard is full of people who are indispensable. So there's probably there's a bit of truth to that, <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't see myself as being indispensable. Yeah. Uh, but you know, during the time I've been there, I think I I think I brought some value to you know what we're trying to do. Yeah. Some clarity to what what we need to do. Yeah. And I just hope that uh, you know some of the people waiting in the wings are going to take that forward and uh, you know achieve better outcomes than I did.
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose it's all about yeah. empowerment. So if that's yeah. your lasting <laughs> legacy, then uh, yeah. job done, Ian. But we're not calling time on that yet. <laughs> not by a long shot. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us, Ian. Thank you very much. All the best with yeah. all of your future endeavours uh, with and Corporation <laughs> and all the various other entities that you're also a part of as well. Um, so... Thank you. Thank you again for coming in and sharing your time with us in this program. Thank you. Uh, You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.